very long time. Like a long time is what, seven years of my life I studied at university for. Long time. And um, I studied law, international relations and Spanish. And so I enjoyed my studies, but you know, throughout that journey, there's ebbs and flows and ebbs and flows. And I was sitting in a class in my international relations class. And um, I, we were talking about state sovereignty. Anyone know what that is? I'll give you the, the brief version because obviously I studied it for a long time. It's a complex theory. But basically a state is like a country. So like Australia or America or something like that. That's a very simplified version. And sovereignty is the idea that um, other states won't interfere with what you're doing. So in Australia, we don't have the death penalty, for instance. And the idea is that America, who does have the death penalty, isn't going to come to our country and say, you must have the death penalty because that's what we do. No, no, no. We have state sovereignty. We're allowed to govern our country the way that we see fit. And so we're talking about this principle and it's very fundamental in international relations because it speaks to non-interference. One state shouldn't be going in and interfering with another state. And you can see this intellectual thought pattern and we're talking about what makes a country a country and what makes sovereignty a state sovereign and is sovereignty a principle that actually is a determining factor in a state. And it was a very intellectual, stimulating discussion and I'm sitting in class and we're bantering backwards and forwards and all of a sudden the penny dropped. And it was like the Holy Spirit, it was like a raindrop that was heavy, like a lead raindrop, just like went in me. Clarity. I don't believe a state is sovereign. I believe God's sovereign, right? And it was this moment where, where my belief system intersected culture. It intersected the world and it wasn't about the world's belief system being good or bad or evil or anything like that. It was just an intersecting moment. And as Christians, that's every day. Every day when you go step outside of your house or you turn on the TV or you read a newspaper, you're intersecting culture. And so this morning, I want to make the conversation a little bit more practical and day-to-day. How can we intersect culture really well? God through us in culture. Um, I backpacked South America last year and I discovered God so afresh, it was incredible. I lived a life of such structured routine when I was studying and working and then I backpacked and I all of a sudden had no routine and there was no set time that I was spending time with God. But I found God in the mountains. I found God hiking the Inca Trail. I found God learning about new cultures that didn't even necessarily believe in Him, but I found Him nonetheless. And when I started work as a commercial lawyer, and a property lawyer, I found God again. I found God in clients that didn't even know Jesus. I found God in situations where there was peace when there shouldn't have been and it could only have been God. And I've realised very quickly that I will never stop discovering God. And that in fact, culture provides such a stagnant contrast to the truth. And that when we are Christians in the world, 
we actually have this spectacular opportunity to find God afresh again and again and again. Because when we know the truth, it's as though the truth is sticking out in bold writing on a white sheet of paper. If the world was the white sheet of paper, it's as though it's so obvious God's truth and where He stands. Are you with me this morning? I know I'm being very, oh no, weird. So, every day in culture is a day to discover God afresh. The Bible tells us to be in the world, but not of the world. The culture we live in, the world we live in, it provides such a contrast to God's truth. And we're still called to be in the culture. We're still called to be in the world, but we're not like them. We know Him intimately and He knows us. And you know, when we think about it this way, we realise that it's really not about them and us. And it's not about what is godly and ungodly. And it's not about worldly and belief. Let's not separate us. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. We realise that we are a matrix, a web, an outpouring of Christ's body infiltrating culture. We may not yell, we may not riot, we may not accuse others, but we are examples of Jesus. And Jesus is always radical and He's always transformational and He's always about people. You don't need to necessarily do anything because you are Christ's child. You just are. That's who we are. So let's unravel this this image of God through us in culture. Not scary, not intimidating. The world isn't this big bad place. It's just us being in culture, being Christ's example. Real, authentic, transparent Christians living in the world without being like the world. The most beautiful example of this is in Ephesians. Um, This beautiful description of Ephesians, dynamic countercultural love for God and one another distinguishes the church, both in Ephesus and throughout history as God's people. How amazing. Dynamic countercultural love is what distinguishes us. Not yelling, not rioting, love. That is our distinguishing factor. And so to provide some context to the book of Ephesians. So um, many books in the Bible are actually letters that were written by a man named Paul. And we're going to unpack Paul's story a little bit this morning. But in, in Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a bustling city. It was um, the capital of a Roman province in Asia. and Um, historians say that it was the thoroughfare. It was the place that everyone needed to pass to get somewhere. And so um, the way that Ephesus was described is a multicultural cosmopolitan city bustling with activity and influence. And for me, that describes our world. It describes what we go out into every single day. Bustling, busy, here, there, new people, multicultural, different belief systems all together. 
And God used the strategic location of the city to make the church a centre for evangelism and mission to the surrounding regions. So when we read this letter, Paul is writing to, um, from prison to his dear, dear friends in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, a church just like us. And he is reminding them of the truth and he's encouraging them. And so if every day is a day to be discovering God afresh, and if we are a matrix, a web, an outpouring of Christ's body in culture, how does this look? What should we look like? In Ephesians, um, two central topics are covered. Firstly, the grace of God that saves people without our effort, so that through salvation, God gets all the glory. Let me read this with me this morning, Ephesians 2.4. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead with sin. It is by grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2.12. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluding from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the prophet, promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you once were far away and you have been brought near. Amazing, amazing. And the theme throughout Ephesians is that we are so thankful and praising to God for this amazing work that He's done. And the second theme that runs through Ephesians is the idea of good works. Good works that naturally flow from a high view of God's grace and power and proper understanding of the peace that God brings. And I love this because these good works involve transforming human relationships, that our, our human involvement with each other is a beautiful representation of Christ. So I've just got two quick points for you this morning. Number one, unifying the church. Ephesians 2.19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household. And Ephesians 4.2, Be completely humble, be gentle, be patient, Bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the whole of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In today's culture, how powerful is community? We heard it so beautifully put by Vic there. How powerful is togetherness and unity? The world doesn't understand intentional relationship. I've been in a life group since I was age 12 and the countless number of times I've been asked why do you go to that these people aren't even really like your best friends why do you go well I believe in intentional relationship I choose to be there I don't make friends just by who is easy to hang out with this is why the church community and life groups are so beautifully countercultural. Because in a society that teaches us that we shouldn't step out or reach out or make the awkward first move, the very essence of Jesus is to do that. Go and speak to someone, go and make disciples, go, 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 come on. We're not scared of that awkward first encounter. In a church, new Christians intentionally seek the wisdom of those who have gone ahead in the journey. 
Young families seek affirmation of their season and mature adults seek to change seasons and navigate together. It's completely countercultural. We choose to have relationships with one another. We don't need to be besties. We choose to love and be open and be transparent. We reach out in a society where isolation is rife. We reach out to physically be with others, to laugh together, to live life together. Will you read with me in Acts? Acts 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he may take them as prisoners. So he's persecuting the Christians. As as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And I love this. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Let's take a moment, Straight Street, funny. And ask for a man from Tarras named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, this is the guy who is murdering Ananias' friends. He's murdering the fellow believers. And so Ananias answers and says, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, can you imagine? Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptised and after taking some food, he regained his strength. I love that story because Ananias was viewing Saul through his worldly eyes. And I don't mean that as in bad. I just mean he was viewing it through his experience, through what he had heard, through facts. And we do that all the time. But God was asking Ananias to see Saul through God's eyes. And the amazing thing is that this Saul, this man who was persecuting Christians, 
was transformed by God and was the very Paul that wrote this letter, Ephesians. Paul became one of the most influential leaders and we learn from him daily. The things he wrote are incredible. But he was once Saul and it was Ananias' job to see him as Paul because God asked him to. Ananias saw Saul, but God already saw Paul. He already saw Paul. And we are called to take off our worldly lens and stop viewing the world through our experience and our hurt and our brokenness, good or bad. We are called to see the world through Christ's lens. And I love the image of putting on your rose-coloured glasses and choosing to see the world with your perspective tinted by His truth. His truth. So are you being intentional? Ananias had to go out. Do you know at that moment, God had already chosen Saul to be part of His church, to be part of His people. But Ananias still had to go out and get him. I wonder who you have to go out and get this week. I wonder who is already positioned in your world, whom God is already seeing in the transformed. And all we have to do is choose to see that way as well. Unify the church, merge, amalgamate, combine, blend, mix, integrate, bring together. Unifying the church involves stepping out. We have a society full of people who lack wholesome, non-manipulating relationships. It's time to intentionally reach out and draw in. Reach out and draw in. Unifying the church also involves looking in. You know, we have a whole church family here. Let's lavish love on each other. Let's be a church that is so loving to our church family and not exclusively looking out and looking in. This morning, take off your worldly lens and put on your rose-coloured glasses. View the world with His truth. And point number two for you this morning, a living example. Ephesians 4.17 So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. And Ephesians 4.20-24 That however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is Jesus. You were taught with this with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So what does this look like? Well, the Bible really tells us how this looks, but Ephesians 4 and 5 make a few points. Don't lie and speak falsely, speak truthfully. 
Don't sin in anger. Don't steal. Work so that you might have something useful to share. Don't use unwholesome talk. Discuss what is helpful for building others up. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with any form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another. Don't allow sexual immoral, immorality. Immorality. You got me on that one? Immorality? Thanks, Dad. Um, or impurity. Don't be greedy. Don't use obscenities, foolish talk or coarse joking. Show thanks to God. Do not get drunk and be, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and he gives you the framework for healthy households, godly relationships, husband, wife, parenting, children, slaves, masters. He gives us all the keys. And I wonder what if we look like that this morning. I wonder if I go to my workplace tomorrow, is that what I look like this morning? A a beautiful example of Jesus. And I also asked myself when I read this, well, what does a church living like this look like? The body of Christ, us collectively. If you read with me, Acts 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him and Stephen was murdered um, by the same gang of people that Saul was with at that time, killing Christians. But Saul, the very Saul that became Paul, that Ananias prayed for, began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. But those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. I love that image because it's the image of a persecuted church who didn't stop being the church. The image of a body of people, Christ's body, who never stopped outworking Jesus in their culture. It didn't matter where they went. It didn't matter what came up against them. They kept being Jesus in culture. God through us in culture. Our lives need to exemplify and glorify God no matter what the culture is, no matter what our society is doing, no matter how crazy our world becomes. We need to realise that our lives matter. You matter. How you live matters. At a minimum, even if you aren't inviting someone to church, even if you aren't saying, You need to know Jesus. At a minimum, you are preaching. You are preaching the gospel daily through your priorities. You are preaching the gospel daily through your language, through your attitude of hope, through your excellence and through your actions. You are preaching church by the way you are living. And so to conclude for this morning, 
We are in the world for a reason. We might not be like them, but we are in the world. God is intersecting, dividing, transforming culture through people every day. And we can be a part of it. We can unify the church, looking out and looking in, and we can be a living example, a living example in culture. Every day in culture is a day to discover God afresh. We are a matrix, a web, an outpouring of God, Christ's body in culture, in culture. And of course, as we do every week, we give individuals an opportunity, some of you in this room, to join, to join us as Christ's body, to say yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I believe in You. And so as a church family, we close our eyes in this moment to respond.